Hello, this is Pastor Becca Bateman of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become so busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with a scripture lesson from that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all the diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. We are indeed are talking about love this morning and not just any love, especially not just the love that usually is celebrated on Valentine's Day, but the origin of love, God. And so today's scripture reading talks about God's love, and I have another one for you. It's also by the same writer. That was the Gospel of John, and this is John as he's writing a letter. You can follow along on page 241 in your pew Bibles if you'd like. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? O God, we know what it is to love in our minds, but give us a moment to fully embody what it might mean for love, and not just of our own accord, but you loving through us. In your name we pray. Amen. I am constantly amazed at a child's brain. I was putting my almost seven-year-old to bed last week, and as many of you know, we talk about our highs and our lows and sometimes our buffaloes, just as a way to check in about the day and what's been going on, a way for her to tell me what's going on with her life that maybe she's now thinking of as the day has gone on and having a chance to pause and reflect. And also she asks me questions and I'm able to talk about my highs and lows. And usually it's pretty mundane stuff. Like the other day when I was having this conversation, she let me know that we put too much salt on her eggs. And I said, thank you so much for that feedback. We'll do better. But. That night, as a parent, I knew that sadness was coming over my daughter as she shut down and wasn't able to be fully present. There was clearly some mixed emotions going on in there. And she let me know that there was a new child at school that had joined their group and had been playing with them during recess. And then she sort of covered her face and she said, I'm not, I'm not jealous, I'm, I'm not jealous. So I wondered what that was all really about, so we continued our conversation, but she kept on saying, I'm not, I'm not jealous. So I thought I'd ask her. I said, well, maybe you don't have the words to verbalize exactly what you're feeling, but are you worried maybe that the friends aren't going to want to play with you anymore? And she said, no, 
I'm not really worried that my friends aren't going to want to play with me anymore. And I thought, well, are you worried that there's not enough friendship for the four of you? And you could instantly tell as she just started crying, was there enough friendship for the four of us? Immediate tears. And I held her. And I didn't quite know exactly what to say after that. But I stumbled through, as most parents do. And I came up with this idea. I said, well, you know how mom and dad, we have two kids. And at some point, we had you. And we loved you so very much. And we do love you. And at some point, we told you that Royce was coming, her younger brother. Did you think that we were going to love you a little less since we were going to have another child? And she said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, we also got a dog since you've been alive. Did you think that we were going to love you less when we also had another dog? She said, yeah, I did. And I said, well, did we? And she said, no. You love me just as much as you always have. And in fact, probably even more. Your love grew. I thought I was on a roll, and so I kept on going. <laughs> so she has identical blankies. She's got a thousand blankies and a thousand stuffed animals, but at that moment, the blankies were there. And they're identical blankies. They both have this minky dot on them that she loves to touch. And they're very heavy, like a weighted blanket. I said, you have these two blankets. Do you love each one of them the same? And she said, yes. And I said, yes. <laughs> and I knew that I was on a roll. And I said, you couldn't imagine loving them more than you do right now. I said, we're on the same page. And I leaned in. And I said, love is not a finite resource, sweetie. And she leaned in closer. And she said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Then we weren't on the same page anymore. So I circled back around and I thought, OK, well, love is kind of like, a, like love is not like a pizza, where you, we get a pizza, right? And it comes home, and you get a slice, Royce gets a slice, I get a slice, dad gets three slices, <laughs> and the pizza's all gone. Unless we order from Nats, then there's a lot of pizza leftovers. But that's not the point. Love is not like pizza where there's an end to it. Love is infinite. And after I got over this concept of what an infinite pizza might be like, I continued thinking about the Gospel of John and how love is exemplified in the way there. Because love does come from God. And through God, we learn how to love. And through God's love, we can transform the world. Now, to be honest, love in this grand creator of the universe that can you know, change the entire world and transform it often seems pretty daunting for a human like myself. Until I realize that it's really the small things that can turn into really big things. And it reminded me of my scripture, where there was a small thing that Jesus did that made a very grand impact on the world. You see, on his final night with his followers, Jesus shows the fullness of his love by removing his robe and kneeling and washing the disciples' feet. And if you remember, this is the moment when violence is at the door. As the next day, 
he's going to be killed. And there's a betrayer at his table. And yet Jesus' response to all of this is abundant love. And so as he makes his way around the room, Simon Peter is the one he comes to and he protests. And he said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And he rejects Peter's act of love. And like Peter, we might question this power shift also. Can we be in a posture to even receive Christ's love? If we're not, then there isn't love that's passing through us to transform the world. We couldn't be allowed to love our neighbor. We couldn't be allowed to love ourselves. Will we care for one another and wash the disciple, other people's feet just like Jesus calls us, especially when there's turbulent events that happen in our life? I thought about this scripture from the point of view of Peter. Let's walk through it. We all gasped as we noticed what was going on. There he was in the middle of dinner making a spectacle of himself. Now we had just come to expect the unexpected when it comes to Jesus, but not this. He got up from supper, took off his outer robe, tied it as a towel around himself, and he poured water in a basin and began to wash the other disciples' feet and to wipe them down with the towel that was around his waist. And we came, when he came to me, I was having none of it. I stopped him. I'll never quite grasp how I went from being a fisherman, mending my nets by the Sea of Galilee, to being counted as one of Jesus' closest disciples, and now sharing the beloved Passover meal with our master. At first, I was intrigued by his charisma, his power to heal the sick, but it was more than that. There was something about him, something that I couldn't quite grasp, that drew me in. As I witnessed the miracles, Water turned into wine, sight given to the blind, the dead raised from the life, the dead raised to life. And I saw him calm storms with a word and feed thousands with a couple loaves and fishes. Everyone craved more of whatever he was giving out. These were great acts, but not of power, not of showing off. They were acts of love of compassion. It was always out of love, even as I watched as he taught with wisdom and surpassed any scholar with humility. He challenged the religious authorities, not with anger, not with pride, but with deep understanding of the scriptures and a desire for justice. I walked with him on dusty roads and saw him heal the brokenhearted and cast out demons. I was there when he confronted the Pharisees and when he forgave the woman caught in adultery. I saw him welcome children and embrace outcasts. Now, having entered Jerusalem just a few days ago, we had not been left alone even for a single moment. This town was bursting with visitors and tourists, the most devout, those who had money, those who had influence. They had traveled there for the festival of Passover and word quickly got out that Jesus was there. And we had to be very careful when responding to questions. Is that Jesus? Many held him as the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of Israel. Or, is that Jesus? 
the religious authorities were skeptical. Finally, the dinner preparations were made and we got a moment to ourselves. There were more than just the 12, but many disciples in that upper room that night, enjoying a meal, a quiet moment to celebrate. We were served platters until we were full, and as our wine glasses filled, so did the room with chatter. All of us clumped together as we lounged around low tables. After supper, our eyes shifted as he stood, loomed above us, and he took off his outer robe, tied a towel around himself. The sound dampened to only the sound of water poured in a basement, an uneasy shifting, and a few whispers began around the room. He began to wash the feet of my friends, to wipe them with a towel that was tied around him, and my mind raced. Our feet have already been washed at the entrance by a servant. This is the role of a lowly female servant. Andrew, James, Bartholomew, where are you with this? Why is no one protecting Jesus? What if word gets out that he's doing this? We're in Jerusalem now. Any sign of weakness will have us all killed. What exactly does he expect from us? My thoughts were interrupted as Jesus came and looked at me and I looked at the swirling water and said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He said I wouldn't understand. I didn't. Maybe I never have. From the moment he called out to us, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I left my nets behind and now I replied to Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no share with me. I thought to myself, is this a test? What's the right answer? Am I going to have to hand over my disciple card right now? I reply, Lord, if washing my feet is so important, then don't just stop there. Cleanse not only my feet, but my hands and my head. I want to be completely purified. Baptize me again as I motion for the servant to bring us more water. Only you, my Lord, can make me holy again, and I wholly yours. But he would have none of that. Jesus came and said to me, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. I was initially puzzled. His words seemed so cryptic, yet filled with profound meaning, it was as if he was speaking directly to my soul, addressing not just my physical state, but also my physical condition. In that moment, I felt a mixture of awe and confusion. Why was Jesus emphasizing the importance of washing feet, even when one is already clean? I envisioned his kingdom with a throne placed high on a platform with stairs. Jesus instead, like a servant, kneels down before the throne to wash his disciples' feet, who in turn sit on the throne. Jesus' act of sacrificial love ripples like the water, dissolving the vertical and horizontal lines of social architecture. There are so many ways to show love. Foot washing was his. As I reflected his words, I couldn't help but feel a renewed sense of dis determination to follow him more wholeheartedly, no matter the challenges that lay ahead. 
So after he had washed their feet, put on the robe, and had reclined again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me Lord and teacher, you have washed my feet, and you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set for you an example, that you should also do this to others. Very truly I tell you, slaves are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed to do them. If I had known what I was responding to when Jesus called my brothers and myself to be followers, and we spent three years with him teaching as he reorganized our worldview, I wouldn't have said yes. But I did, and here I am, and I can't quit now. In a world filled with division and self-interest, the lesson of Jesus' humble act of foot washing remains as relevant today as it was then. Let us remember that love and service are at the heart of our faith. And may we as Christians strive to be servant leaders. May we love one another as Christ loved us. In this way, we can truly make a positive impact in the world and reflect the teachings of Jesus in our daily lives. While I acknowledge that love alone cannot solve the world's issues, from Israel and Gaza conflicts to playground disputes, I firmly assert that the alternative is far more dire. Sometimes we say that being more like Jesus is too insurmountable for the average person. When attempting to be like the savior of the world, it seems like a daunting task. But can't average people show the value of humility and also acknowledge their own limitations and weakness and further connect with others in their community? Can't average people embrace opportunities to serve others in their daily lives? Can't average people show love and compassion towards others, both in small gestures of kindness and also significant acts of support. Can't average people recognize the importance of building meaningful relationships with others, where humility and service are central? And also, can't average people acknowledge their own need for spiritual growth and renewal, seeking to live lives that reflect the teachings and example of Jesus? It was when I was asking myself these questions that I came across a poem a reminder of the little things of presence, not always grand gestures, to show love to one another. And I'll end with this. It's a poem entitled, Will You Wash My Feet? by Reverend Sarah Speed. Will you wash my feet? Of all the ways you could show up, with sugar cubes and two plump oranges, delivering a pep talk as you hang your coat. You could provide a meal, filling the house with sweet smells of rosemary and lighting the candles, playing music throughout all the rooms. You could leave rambling voice memos that start with, hey, it's me, I was just thinking of you, and share all of the details of your day. You could get eye level with little ones and ask them questions like, what should we put in your fort? Or, what's your favorite farm animal? You could remember people's first and middle names, a sign of old school love. You could ask what others like to be called. You could cry with her when her dog gets sick. You could remember how he likes his cookies, soft or crispy. 
You could deliver Thai food with an order of extra sticky rice because sometimes we just need extra sticky rice. You could drop off flowers. You could tell the waitress it's their birthday. There are a million ways to show your love to someone and foot washing was his. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.